You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. The Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Joseph Stalin's Rise to Power Stalin played a decisive role in the 1921 Red Army invasion of Georgia after which he adopted particularly hardline centralist policies towards Soviet Georgia. This led to the Georgian affair of 1922 and other incidents. Stalin's actions in Georgia created a rift with Lenin, who believed that all the Soviet states should stand equal. Lenin nonetheless considered Stalin a loyal ally, and when he got mired in squabbles with Trotsky and other politicians, he decided to support Stalin. With the help of Lev Kemenev, Lenin appointed Stalin general secretary in 1922. This post enabled Stalin to appoint many of his allies to government positions. Then, Lenin suffered strokes in May and December of 1922, forcing him into a semi-retirement in Gorky. Stalin visited him often, acting as its intermediary to the outside world. But the pair quarreled, and their relationship deteriorated. Lenin dictated increasingly disparaging notes on Stalin in what would become his testament. He criticized Stalin's political views, rude manners, and excessive power and ambition, and suggested that Stalin should be removed from the position of general secretary. During Lenin's semi-retirement, Stalin forged an alliance with Kamenev and Grigory Zinoviev against Trotsky. These allies prevented Lenin's testament from being revealed to the 12th Party Congress in April 1923. After Lenin's death, the testament was read to a selected group of deputies to the 13th Party Congress in May 1924, but it was forbidden to be mentioned 
at the plenary assemblies or any documents of the Congress. Lenin died of a stroke on January 21, 1924. Following Lenin's death, a power struggle began, which involved the following seven Politburo members. Nikolai Bukharin, Lev Kamenev, Alexei Rykov, Joseph Stalin, Mikhail Tomsky, Leon Trotsky, and Grigory Zinoviev. Again, Kamenev and Zinoviev helped to keep Lenin's testament from going public. Thereafter, Stalin's disputes with Kamenev and Zinoviev intensified. Trotsky, Kamenev, and Zinoviev grew increasingly isolated and were eventually ejected from the Central Committee and then from the party itself. Kamenev and Zinoviev were later readmitted, but Trotsky was exiled from the Soviet Union. The Northern Expedition in China became a point of contention over foreign policy by Stalin and Trotsky. Stalin wanted the Communist Party of China to ally itself with the national, nationalist Kuomintang or the KMT rather than attempt to implement a communist revolution. Trotsky urged the party to oppose the KMT and launch a full-scale revolution. Stalin funded the KMT during the expedition. Stalin countered Trotsky's criticisms by making a secret speech in which he said that the KMT were the only ones capable of defeating the imperialists, that Charles K. Sheck had funding from the rich merchants and that his forces were to be utilized until squeezed for all usefulness like a lemon before being discarded. Howard Chiang quickly reversed the tables in the Shanghai Massacre of 1927 by massacring the membership of the Communist Party in Shanghai midway through the Northern Expedition. Stalin pushed for more rapid industrialization and central control of the economy, contravening Lenin's new economic policy. At the end of 1927, a critical shortfall in grain supplies prompted Stalin to push for the collectivism of agriculture and ordered the seizure of grain hordes from the Kulak farmers. Nikolai Bukharin and Premier Alexei Rykov opposed these policies and advocated a return to the NEP, or the New Economic Policy. But the rest of the Politburo sided with Stalin and removed Bukharin from the Politburo in November 1929. Rykov was fired the following year and was replaced by Yashkalasov Molotov on Stalin's recommendation. In December 1934, the popular Communist Party boss in Leningrad, Sergei Kurov, was murdered. Stalin blamed Kurov's murder on a vast conspiracy of saboteurs and Trotskyites 
A massive purge was carried out against these internal enemies, putting them on rigged show trials and having them executed or imprisoned in Siberian gulags. Among the victims were old enemies, including Berkarin, Rykov, Kiminev, and Zyeneviev. Stalin made the loyal Nikolai Yezov head of the secret police and the NKVD and had him purge the NKVD of veteran Bolsheviks. With no serious opponents left in power, the purges were extended in 1938. Yezhov was held to blame for the excesses, the excesses of the Great Terror. He was dismissed from office and later executed. The scope and power of the state's secret police and the intelligence agency vastly increased during Stalin's tenure. Soviet intelligence forces began to set up intelligence networks in most of the major nations of the world, including Germany, with the famous Rote Capella spy ring, Great Britain, France, Japan, and the United States. One of the most notable examples of Stalin's capability to integrate secret police and foreign espionage came in 1940, when he gave approval to the secret police to have Leon Trotsky assassinated in Mexico. A cult of personality developed in the Soviet Union around both Stalin and Lenin Many personality cults in history have been frequently measured and compared to his. Numerous towns, villages, and cities were renamed after the Soviet leader, and the Stalin Prize and the Stalin Peace Prize were named in his honor. He accepted outrageous titles father of nations, brilliant genius of humanity, great architect of communism, gardener of human happiness, just to mention a few. And Soviet history was rewritten to provide himself a more significant role in the revolution of 1917. At the same time, according to Nikita Khrushchev, he insisted that he be remembered for the extraordinary modesty characteristic of a truly great people. Stalin became the focus of literature, poetry, music, paintings, and film that exhibited fawning devotion. Increasingly, portraits of Stalin erased his Georgian facial characteristics and depicted him as a generalized national hero. Only his eyes and famous mustache remain unaltered. Some say his majestic new image was devised appropriately to depict the leader of all times and of all peoples. On the other side of the coin, Stalin had painters shot who didn't depict him as tall, 
with powerful hands. In Soviet films, he was often played by Mikhail Gelovani and less frequently by Alexei Dickey. In 1944, Stalin's name was included in the new Soviet national anthem. He was sometimes credited with almost godlike qualities, including the suggestion that he single-handedly won the war. The cults of personality distorted and concealed many of the facts of Stalin's early life. The degree of which to Stalin himself relished the cult surrounding him is debatable. The Finnish communist Arvo Tominin records a sarcastic toast proposed by Stalin at a New Year's Eve party in 1935, in which he said, Comrades, I want to propose a toast to our patriarch, life and son, liberator of nations, architect of socialism. Joseph Stalin. And I hope this is his first and last speech made to that genius this evening. In a 1956 speech, Nikita Khrushchev denounced the cult of personality surrounding Stalin with these words. It is impermissible and foreign to the spirit of Marx and Leninism to elevate one person to transform him into a superman, possessing supernatural characteristics akin to those of a god. Khrushchev's speech and especially the confirmation reflected in the decisions of the 22nd Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union in 1961 led to the destruction of thousands of monuments of Stalin, not only in the Soviet Union, but in many other socialist countries in the following years. In November 1961, for example, the large Stalin statue on Berlin's monumental Stalinale promptly renamed Karl Marx Ali, was removed in a clandestine operation. In the 1930s, near absolute power was consolidated by Stalin as head of the Politburo of the Central Committee of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. With a great purge of the party that was justified as an attempt to expel opportunists and counter revolutionary infiltrators. Those targeted by the purge were often expelled from the party. However, more severe measures ranged from the banishment to the gulag labor camps to execution after trials held by the NKV Troikas. Stalin apparently had become increasingly worried about the growing popularity of the Leningrad party boss, Sergei Kirov. At the 1934 Party Congress, where the vote for the new Central Committee was held, Kirov received only three negative votes, the fewest of any candidate, while Stalin received over 100 negative votes. After the assassination of Kirov, which may have been orchestrated by Stalin. Stalin invented a detailed scheme to implicate opposition leaders in the murder, including Trotsky, Kiminev, 
and Genevieve. The investigations and trials expanded. Stalin passed new law on the terrorist organizations and terrorist acts that were to be investigated for no more than 10 days with no prosecution, defense attorneys, or appeals, followed by a sentence to be executed quickly. Thereafter, several trials known as the Moscow trials were held, but the producer procedures were replicated throughout the country. Article 58 of the legal code, which listed prohibited anti-Soviet activities as counter-revolutionary crime, was applied to in the broadcast manner. Pretexts were often enough to brand someone an enemy of the people, starting a cycle of public persecution and abuse, often proceeding to interrogation, torture, and deportation, if not death. The Russian word troika gained a new meaning, a quick, simplified trial by committee of three subordinate NKVD. NKVD troika, with sentencing carried out within 24 hours. Stalin's hand-picked executioner, Vasily Blokhin, was entrusted with carrying out some of the high-profile executions in this period. Many military leaders were convicted of treason, and a large-scale purge of Red Army officers followed. The repressions of so many formerly high-ranking revolutionaries and party members led Leon Trotsky to claim that a river of blood separated the government of Stalin from that of Lenin. In August 1940, Trotsky was assassinated in Mexico where he had lived in exile since January 1937. This eliminated the last opponents of Stalin among the former party leadership. With the exception of Vladimir Milyutin, who died in prison in 1937, and Joseph Stalin himself, all the members of Lenin's original cabinet who had not succumbed to death from natural causes before the purge, were executed or assassinated. The purges even claimed Stalin's brother-in-law, Alexander Svandes, and Stanislav Reddins. When Gregory Dimitrov, head of the Komenintern, asked him to intercede in some cases, Stalin replied, what can I do for them, Gregory? All my own relatives are in prison, too. Stalin told Khrushchev, They're gathering evidence against me, too, and a file on Stalin was found in Yezov's safe after his arrest. Stalin publicly distanced himself from the terror, for example, deploring the execution of theater director Veslov Merihold. mass operations of the NKVD also targeted national contingents or foreign ethnicities such as the Poles, Germans, Koreans, and other groups. A total of 350,000 with 
144,000 of them being Poles, were arrested and 247,000 of that 110,000 Poles were executed. Many Americans who have emigrated to the Soviet Union during the worst of the Great Depression were executed. Others were sent to gulags or prisons. Concurrent with the purges, efforts were made to rewrite the history in Soviet textbooks and other propaganda materials. Notably, notable people executed by the NKVD were removed from the textbooks and photographs as though they were never existed. Gradually, the history of revolution was transformed to a story about just two key characters, Lenin and Joseph Stalin. In light of revelations from the Soviet archives, historians now estimate that nearly 700,000 people, 353,000 in 1937, and 328,000 in 1938 were executed during this, pe this period, with the great mass of victims being ordinary Soviet systems, citizens, workers, peasants, homemakers, teachers, priests, musicians, soldiers, pensioners, ballerinas, and beggars. Many of the executed were interned into mass graves with some of the major killing and burial sites being Bakyanivia, Kurapati, and Butovo. Stalin personally signed 357 proscription lists in 1937 and 1938 that condemned to execution some 40,000 people and about 90% of these are confirmed to have been shot. At the time while reviewing one such list, Stalin reportedly muttered to no one in particular, who's going to remember all this riffraff in 10 or 20 years time? No one. Who remembers the names now of the boyars Ivan the Terrible got rid of? No one. In addition, Stalin dispatched a contingent of NKVD operatives to Mongolia and established a Mongolian version of the NKVD Troika, by which a purge was carried out in which tens of thousands were executed as Japanese spies. Mongolian Prime Minister Kurilugin Cholobaslan followed the Soviet line. During the 1930s and 40s, the Soviet leadership sent NKVD groups into other countries to execute defectors and other opponents of the Soviet government. Victims of these include Yevon Konovlats, Ingens Porsky, Rudolf Clement, Leon Trotsky, and the workers' parties of Marxist unification leadership in Catalonia. Shortly before, during, and immediately after World War II, a series of internal population transfers were conducted on a huge scale that profoundly affected the ethnic map of the Soviet Union. 
It is estimated that between 1941 and 1949, nearly 3.3 million people were deported to Siberia and the Central Asian republics. It is estimated that up to 43% of the resettled population died of disease and malnutrition. Separatism, resistance to the Soviet government, and collaboration with the invading Germans were cited as the official reasons for the internal population transfers, rightly or wrongly. Individual circumstances of those spending time in German-occupied territories were not examined. After the brief Nazi occupation of the Caucasus, the entire population of five of the small highland peoples and the Crimean Tartars, more than a million people in total, were deported without notice or any opportunity to take their possessions. Ethnic groups such as the Soviet Koreans, the Volga Germans, the Crimean Tartars, the Chechens, and many Poles were moved out of strategic areas and forcibly relocated to places in Central Soviet Union especially Kazakhstan in the Soviet Central Asia. By some estimates, hundreds of thousands of deportees may have died en route. According to official Soviet estimates, more than 14 million people passed through the Gulag from 1929 to 1953, with the further 7 to 8 million being deported in exile to remote areas of the Soviet Union including entire nationalities in several cases. In February 1956, Nikita Khrushchev condemned the deportations as a violation of Leninism and reversed some of them, although it was not until 1991 that the Tartars, Meshkestians, and Volga Germans were allowed to return en masse to their territories. The memory of the deportations has played a major part in the separatist movements in the Baltic states, Tartastan and Chechnya. Collectivization of agriculture was carried out during the period of Stalin. This was intended to increase agricultural output from large-scale mechanized farms to bring the peasantry under more direct political control and make tax collection more efficient. Collectivization brought social change on a scale not seen since the abolition of serfdom in 1861 and alienation from control of the land and its produce the large changes also led to a drastic drop in living standards for many peasants and faced violent reaction among some of the peasantry. In the first years of collectivization, it was estimated that industrial production would rise by 200% and agricultural production by 50%. These estimations were not met. Stalin blamed this unanticipated failure on gulags, rich peasants who resisted collectivization. 
However, gulags proper made up only 4% of the peasant population. The gulags that were targeted included the slightly better off peasants, who took most of the pressure from the OGPU and the Komasmal. These peasants were about 60% of the population. Those officially defined as kulaks, kulak helpers, and later ex-kulaks were to be executed, placed into gulag labor camps, or deported to remote areas of the country, depending on the charge. Archival data indicates that 20,000 people were executed during 1930, the year of de-kulakization. The two-stage progress of collectivization, interrupted for a year by Stalin's famous editorials, Dizzy with Success and Reply to Collective Farm Comrades, is a prime example of his capacity for tactical power withdrawal, followed by intensification of initial strategies. Famine affected the Ukraine, southern Russia, and other parts of the USSR. The death toll from famine in the Soviet Union at this time is estimated between 5 and 10 million people. The worst crop failures of the late Tsarist Russia in 1892 had caused 375,000 to 400,000 deaths. According to some historians, the total Soviet grain crop was no worse than that of 1931. It was not a crop failure, but the excessive demands of the state, ruthlessly enforced, that cost the lives as many as five million Ukrainian peasants. Stalin refused to release large grain reserves that would have alleviated the famine while continuing to export grain. He was convinced that the Ukrainian peasants had hidden grain away and strictly enforced draconian new collective farm theft laws in response. Other historians hold that it was largely the insufficient harvest of 1931 and 1932 caused by a variety of natural disasters that resulted in famine with the successful harvest of 1933 ending the famine. Soviets and other historians have argued that the rapid collectivization of agriculture was necessary in order to achieve an equally rapid industrialization of the Soviet Union and ultimately win World War II. The USSR also experienced a major famine from 1946 to 1947. These conditions were brought by drought, the effects of which were exasperated by the devastation caused by World War II. Some economists argue that it could have been prevented if the government had not mismanaged its grain reserve. The famine cost an estimated one to one and a half million lives, as well as secondary population losses due to reduced fertility.
The Ukrainian portion of the wider Soviet famine of 1932-1933 is sometimes referred to as the Ukrainian Genocide, implying that it was engineered by the Soviet government, specifically targeting the Ukrainian people to destroy the Ukrainian nation as a political factor and social entity. While historians continue to disagree whether the policies that led to Haldemore fall under the legal definition of genocide, 26 countries have officially recognized the Haldemore as such. On November 28, 2006, the Ukrainian parliament approved a bill declaring the Soviet-era forced famine an act of genocide against the Ukrainian people. Historians believe that Ukrainians were victims of genocide in 1932-33, according to a more relaxed definition that is favored by some specialists in the field of genocide studies. He assert, they assert that Soviet policies greatly acerbated the famine's death toll. Although 1.8 million tons of grain were exported during the height of the starvation, enough to feed 5 million people for one year, Historians believe that the use of torture and execution to extract grain under the law of spikelets, the use of force to prevent starving peasants from fleeing the worst affected areas, and the refusal to import grain or secure internal humanitarian aid to alleviate conditions led to the human suffering in Ukraine. Elman claims that Stalin intended to use the starvation as a cheap and efficient means, as opposed to deportations and shootings, to kill off those deemed to be counter-revolutionaries, idlers, and thieves, but not to annihilate the Ukrainian peasantry as a whole. It's also claimed that while this was not the only Soviet genocide, must not forget the Polish operation of the NKVD. It was the worst in terms of mass casualties. The current estimates on the total number of casualties within the Soviet Ukraine range most, is mostly from 2.2 million to 5 million people dead. In January 2010, a Ukrainian court found Joseph Stalin Lazar Kenevich and Stanislav Kosyar and other leaders of the former Soviet Union guilty of genocide by organizing mass famine in the Ukraine in 1932 and 33. However, the court dropped criminal proceedings over the suspects' deaths. During the Russian Civil War, wartime policies coincided with large decrease in the country's economy. Industrial output in 1922 was 13% of that in 1914. A recovery followed under the new economic policy, which allowed a degree of market flexibility within the context of socialism. 
Under Stalin's direction, this was replaced by a system of centrally ordained five-year plans in the late 1920s. These called for a highly ambitious program of industrialization and the collectivization of agriculture. With seed capital unavailable because of international reaction to communist policies, little international trade and virtually no modern infrastructure, the government of Stalin financed industrialization both by restraining consumption on the part of ordinary Soviet citizens to ensure that capital went for reinvestments into industry and the extraction of wealth from kulaks. In 1933, workers' real earnings fell about one-tenth of 1926 level. Common and political prisoners in labor camps were forced to perform unpaid labor, and communists and commissomals members were frequently mobilized for various construction projects. The Soviet Union used numerous foreign experts to design new factories, supervise construction, instruct workers, and improve manufacturing processes. The most notable foreign contractor was Albert Kahn's firm that designed and built 521 factories between 1930 and 1932. As a rule, these factories were supplied with imported equipment. In spite of the early breakdowns, the first two five-year plans achieved rapid industrialization from a very low economic base. While it's generally agreed that the Soviet Union achieved significant levels of economic growth under Stalin, the precise rate of growth is disputed. Official Soviet estimates state the, state the annual rate of growth at 13.9%. Russia and Western estimates give a lower figure of 5.8 and even 2.9. Indeed, one estimate is that the Soviet growth became temporary much higher after Stalin's death. According to some historians, the five-year plan substantially helped to modernize the previously agrarian Soviet economy. New products were developed and the scale of efficiency of existing production greatly increased. Some innovations were based on indigenous technical developments others on imported foreign technology. Despite its cost, the industrialization effort allowed the Soviet Union to fight and ultimately win World War II. Science in the Soviet Union came under strict ideological control by the government during the period of Stalin, along with art and literature. There was significant progress in ideologically safe domains, owing to the free Soviet education system and state finance research. However, the most notable legacy during Stalin's time was his public endorsement of the agronomist Trofim Leskinov, who rejected Mendelian genetics as bourgeois pseudoscience and instead advocated Lamarckian inheritance and hybridization theories, which had been discredited by most Western countries in the 1920s in favor of Darwinian evolution. 
which caused widespread agricultural destruction and major setbacks in Soviet knowledge and biology. Many scientists came out publicly against his views, but the majority of them, including Nikolai Vavilov, who was later hailed as a pioneer in modern genetics, were imprisoned or executed. Under the Soviet government, people benefited from social, some social liberalizations. Girls were given an adequate equal education and women had equal rights in employment, improving lives for women and families. Stalinist development also contributed to advances in healthcare which significantly increased the lifespan and quality of life of the typical Soviet citizen. Stalin's policies granted the Soviet people universal access to health care and education, effectively creating the first generation free from the fears of typhus, cholera, and malaria. The occurrences of these diseases dropped to record low numbers, increasing lifespans by decades. Soviet women under Stalin were the first generation of women in the country able to give birth in the safety of a hospital with access to prenatal care. Education was also an example of the increase in the standard of living after economic development. The generation born during the period of Stalin was the first in the USSR to achieve widespread literacy. Engineers were sent abroad to learn industrial technology, and hundreds of foreign engineers were brought to Russia on contract. Transport links were improved and many new railways built. Workers who exceeded their quotas, Stakhanovites, received many incentives for their work. They could afford to buy goods that were mass-produced by the rapidly expanding Soviet economy. The increase in demand due to industrialization and the decrease in the workforce due to World War II and the repressions generated a major expansion in job opportunities for the survivors, especially for women. Although Stalin remained proudly Georgian, Politically, he took positions that, in comparison to Lenin's policies, favored Russian nationalism, describing the Russians as the elder brothers of the non-Russian minorities. During the period of Stalin, the official and long-lived style of socialist realism was established for painting, sculpture, music, drama, and literature. Previously fashionable revolutionary expressionism, abstract art and avant-garde experimentation were discouraged or denounced as formalist. The degree of Stalin's personal involvement in general and in specific instances has been the subject of discussion. Stalin's favorite novel, Pharaoh, by Polish writer Bolesław Prus shared similarities with Sergei Einstein's film, Ivan the Terrible, 
produced under Stalin's tutelage. In architecture, a Stalinist style essentially updated neoclassicism on a very large scale, exemplified by the Seven Sisters of Moscow, replaced the constructivism of the 1920s. The government's policies during the period of Stalin had a largely disruptive effect on indigenous cultures within the Soviet Union. However, the earlier politics of Koronistasia, or indigenization, were potentially beneficial to the integration of later generations of indigenous cultures. While studying at Georgian Orthodox Seminary, Stalin became an atheist. Stalin had a complex relationship with religious institutions in the Soviet Union. Historians have suggested that Stalin's atheism remained rooted in some vague idea of a god of nature. His government promoted atheism through special aesthetic educations in schools, anti-religious propaganda, the anti-religious work of public institution, such as the Society of the Godless, anti-religious laws, and the fermenting of repression against religious believers. By the 1930s, it became dangerous to be publicly associated with religion. Stalin's role with the fortunes of the Russian Orthodox Church is complex. Continuous persecutions in the 1930s resulted in its near extinction as a public institution. By 1939, active parishes numbered in the low hundreds, down from 54,000 in 1917. Many churches had been leveled and tens of thousands of priests, monks, and nuns were persecuted or executed. Over 100,000 were executed during the purges of 1937-1938. During World War II, the church was allowed a revival as a patriotic organization, and thousands of parishes were reactivated until a further round of suppression during the government of Nikita Khrushchev. The Russian Orthodox Church Synod's recognition of the Soviet government and of Stalin personally led to a schism within the Russian Orthodox Church outside Russia. One reason could have been to motivate the majority of the population who had Christian beliefs. The reasoning behind this is that by changing the official policy of the party and the state towards religion, the church and its clergymen could be at his disposal in mobilizing the war effort. On September 4, 1943, Stalin invited Metropolitan Sergius 
Metropolitan Alexis and Metropolitan Nicholas to the Kremlin and proposed to reestablish the Moscow Patriarchate, which had been suspended since 1925, and elect the Patriarch. On September 8, 1943, Metropolitan Sergius was elected Patriarch. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.